0: Hello, welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Marshall, joined today by Samuel Lockhurst. Uh, We are back in the studio for the first time in what feels like about four years. Uh, Back to an in-person podcast. We did do a few of these in-person ones on the US tour. It's fair to say the studio has slightly better facilities than the hotel rooms we were using in New York and San Diego and Las Vegas. Uh, it's been another busy week for Manchester United as well. Two friendlies this weekend on the back of their US tour. We were both in uh, at Old Trafford on Saturday for the Lawns game. Samuel went to Dublin yesterday for the Athletic Bilbao game. Uh, Samuel, probably a good
1: place to start. How was Dublin and, and how was the game? I think the first thing I should say is that we, we both look better on this podcast than we did on the last podcast. We were both... Extremely tired in San Diego. Uh, D- Dublin was was like Manchester. It was very rainy. Uh, the, the, the last thing I, I, I remember remember take with me was my waterproof coat. So I was I was I was glad I had that in tow. But uh, it's you know the, the, it's it's good when United play these games out in. Um, in, in big cities in the UK because the fan bases are obviously big especially in Ireland uh, there, there are a lot of Irish fans that were not happy with the squad but it, it's still on, on that approach to the Aviva Stadium it, we've got a lot of pubs and it's, it's easy to get a drink it, it does have a bit of a, a cup final atmosphere about it even for, for just a friendly it was a little bit similar to to Cardiff four years ago when they played Milan. Anyone who's been to the Principality Stadium will know what a great location that is uh, for for any game. Never mind, never mind a friendly. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the last of the the, the travelling until the until the Champions League uh, group stage starts now, at least. So relieved for that.
0: Yes, and at least it's the Champions League and not the Europa League yeah. this season. It's so slightly simple trips uh, in terms of the game. A one-one draw for Cunderplessery's late equaliser. Um, I, I suppose a good place. not a good place to start but maybe the the obvious place to start is with a negative Um, he does seem to have become the pantomime villain on these uh, on these tours and these friendlies at the moment poor old Harry Maguire I mean not his finest moment for the goal it'd be fair to say
1: yeah, uh, it, it, over land and sea, that the booze just seemed to to follow him from what was it, Melbourne, America, over the Irish Sea now as well. Uh, I I did feel sorry for him in that it's it is unwarranted, it is unjust. He actually got quite a good ovation when they broke out off from the from the lineup just prior to kick off, and he went over to some supporters, applauded them, got a good ovation back. One mistake later, it was it was booing, and, and the booze subsided. And there were some fans that were cheering, uh, trying to encourage him, and trying to drown out the booze. But then they resurfaced in the second half, and you suspect a few people who were booing him were were inebri- in in an inebriated state. Uh, but speak frankly, as well, there were quite a lot of. Clownish supporters at the game yesterday and I wouldn't put that down as a reliable gauge whatsoever of um, although they were match goers and they were attending a United match I I don't ever think that Maguire will ever get booed at at Old Trafford I mean if if ever there was a season that he was going to get booed it was the, the Solskjaer Rangnick one and uh, there was the time when he got sarcastically cheered off against Atletico Madrid but he's never been booed and when he did get I mean, he got booed by England fans at the time which was yeah. risible given what a brilliant play he's been for England and the following game at Old Trafford uh, against Leicester United fans chanted his rather crass chant for, for the only time I think I can ever remember it, it being, uh, being aired at Old Trafford so it, it was a mistake by him for uh, for Williams' goal it was, it was a pass that just wasn't was on, and Athletic were quite, you know, they were quite ruthless in the way they they took the goal. But that's that was the story. There, there weren't a lot of us. Uh, I think there were only two of us, in fact, that you know, flew over on uh, that that infamous budget airline uh, to, to Dublin yesterday for the game. So I, I suppose that did soften it. It would have it would have helped Maguire that there was the Community Shield going on in terms of the coverage, but. Uh, I suppose if you're his agent and you, you take interest in what Man United fans are, are saying, and you take you take interest in what your your client's well being is like, it would Twitter would have been a place to um, to steer clear of yesterday. But credit to Maguire, he had the resilience to keep going. He got the the assist for Fecundo Palestri's goal. So uh, although he looks done at United I mean he lost his place last year lost the captaincy last month he's lost the confidence of his manager he's lost the confidence of the supporters but he still has a, some resilience about him and um, he you he, will be interested to see what happens with him now because he I think it's in his best interest to leave and it's also in England's best interest for him to leave because he's he's been brilliant for them at, at three tournaments and there's another one just around the corner
0: yeah I mean it, it is a, a remarkable situation really when you think it's two years and just over two years since his injury for the Europa League final was considered a major issue for United and United fans were almost on Maguire watching and, and is he going to be fit and this is a problem for the Europa League final. Got back fit and was genuinely world class in the Euros mm-hmm. that summer and now he's just portrayed as this sort of clownish figure to to be booed everywhere. I mean, it like I say, it has to be in his interest to leave. I guess the problem is he didn't want to go to a West Ham two weeks ago and almost certainly won't want to go now when it looks like David Moyes is, is on borrowed time there. So a, a difficult situation to resolve, but it certainly feels like it's in the interests of, of both parties to to have a fresh start. I guess in terms of um, positives for the game, some players who, who might have a slightly longer future, um, Facundo Calestri with the goal... Hannibal looking quite bright after he he came on to young players making something of an impact.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the tone of the the piece I did did change with with the goal in the uh, it was just going to be straight. You know, you, some United careers have, have probably ended here, and I think in the case of Van der Beek's that that is that is done done and dusted, and it really needs to be. Just I I don't I don't know what really goes through his mind, and you, you look at his Instagram post last night, and it's it's just so tone deaf. It's like it, you've, you, were t- you were the only player taken off at half time. Don't post anything. But not only has he posted something that gives the illusion that he had a really good time in Dublin when he didn't, but his agent posts a comment on it like with a, a love heart and a fire emoji that also gives the illusion that he actually played well and he didn't. He was, he was just out of kilter as he has been pretty much the whole of his United career. And the first thing that Meshbury came on, um, that, that he did when he came on was to to press and that, that was right by Athletic Bilbao's goal line he went out for a goal kick okay he's not won a corner but the intent is there and he gets up to speed immediately like that and he he forced the, the red card as well that, that gave United an advantage that, that probably allowed them to, to get an equaliser late on when you look at a player who's going to be rotated at times with Fernandez or give Fernandez a breather here and there it, it's it's a very simple, very simple choice there, and you go with Meschery. And I, I think I said that after the the Oslo game at the start of preseason. And I know pre- preseason is preseason, but we all know what Van der Beek's like. His his card was marked two years ago when he tried to go to Everton on loan. When you're trying to go to Everton on loan at that stage of your your career, your United career. You, 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 your number's up everyone knows you're not up to it if, you, if you're looking to go somewhere where it's more comfortable and not going to be as stressful then then you're not up to it and unfortunately he I mean he's probably he's followed a similar career trajectory to Davy Classen in some ways but he's actually been worse than David Classen in, in the Premier League so he was another negative in terms of a pr- probable outgoing with Real Sociedad in for him but Palestri was bright he deserved his goal he was probably the most threatening attacker before he did score, uh, he drew a number of fouls, a lot of cynical challenges on him. I, I've, I, I just really like him. I mean, a couple of us spoke to him afterwards as well, and the, the quotes people listening to this, the, the quotes have probably been published by now. But he's a really likable lad. He's very polite. Uh, he's a good professional. It's, it's easy to forget he only made his United debut in in January, but. I think he's only had ten competitive games United, but in most of those games, you've come away from it thinking he's he's done something there that has been noteworthy. And there've been a number of friendly games where he's done quite well. I think he's he's scored a few goals in friendlies now. I think I remember Derby in a couple year, of years ago, yeah, and was it Bangkok? From, yeah. Was it Bangkok last year against Liverpool? Yeah, he scored yeah, as well. Yeah. So when he gets an opportunity, he tends to to take it, and it's it's still unclear whether he will stay or go, uh, and when I say go, he's not going to be sold, but when you look at the the situation with the attack at the moment, Marshall, I mean you mentioned his name and people just roll their eyes or despair, they can't play him, they can't sell him, Ahmad is nursing a knee injury, having twisted his ankle in, in New Jersey against Arsenal, um, Van der Beek is, is out of the picture and, and, and will be off the book soon as well probably for United, so really you can't afford to let any other attacker go um, and, and, and Palestri has worth as a squad player if, if, if you're chasing a game or if you need a goal I think he's a pretty good option to bring on and you've, you've got five substitutes to to use as well these days so at the start of the summer I think it would have be, people would have looked at the situation and thought yep fair enough he goes on loan that's fine but it, it's always felt as though with him and Ahmad they can't accommodate both of them and so the way it's going at the moment, because unfortunately of Ahmad's injury against Arsenal, um, although he was on the bench a couple of days later and now it's a, a separate issue with his knee, it seems like Palestri's in, in the driving seat there. And and again, he's he's had, he's had, probably had a, a bit more 1st team exposure with United across competitive games and friendlies. And he certainly made more of an impression um, in, in, in those games. I mean, when, when, when would the last time of Ahmad... When did, La- when did Ahmad actually last play for United? It might, might have been one of Rangnick's first games, young, young boys, yeah, I think, young in the Champions League group. So, so you're going back to December 2021. So um, Ten Hag is not as familiar with him. And unfortunately, the, the timing of his injuries is, is possibly a bit of a killer. And, and he had this two years ago when he was going to go on loan to Feyenoord. And then he got injured late on in the window. So with Palestri at the moment, I, I think that it would be... Uh, counterproductive to to be trying to get him out of the club when there's a hell of a lot to light there and he's, he's still quite young. He's, he's still only 21. So the, it's, it's still fair to call him, although he's got a World Cup under his belt and he's been a United player for nearly three years, it is fair to call him a young player. And it's just now a case of whether Ten Hag feels the time is right to maximise him.
0: Yeah, and he feels a bit of a, a point of difference in terms of wingers. He's a bit more... Old-fashioned, I guess you'd He's say. right, of,
1: plays on the right, Yeah, it?
0: running with the ball, taking people on, trying to get to the byline, something you don't see a lot from wingers these days. Uh, that was the second of the double-header this weekend. It started with Lons. Um, I guess it started pretty badly as well. <laughs> it's a fair bit of a uh, short hidden around half an hour in. When your your the,
1: succinct summary of it was, was perfect. Yeah,
0: they unveiled a new £72 million striker who was injured. Sixty million pound midfielder missed an open goal from six yards, and the forty-seven million pound goalkeeper lobbed from the centre circle. Uh, well, it wasn't going brilliantly. Uh, credit to United for, for turning it round, and in the end, there were quite a lot of positives from from that game. They looked good going forward second half. Um, both wingers had both wingers had good second halves. Garnacho, I thought, had a good whole game really, and I mean, he is. It feels like. We'll talk about Wolves later in the week, or you while I'm on holiday. But to, <laughs> it feels <Unfortunately>, like, <laughs> yeah, another Man United Wolves game. I mean, it feels like we could pick that starting eleven now for that game. Um, yeah. And Garnacho has has made that spot on the left his, his own. That's only the obviously the injury to Hoyland, Martial's continuing availability means Rashford has to play centrally. It was maybe between Gonacho and Sancho for the left, but Gonacho won that battle so, hands down. Obviously. Yeah,
1: there's, there's no contest there. And, and in fairness to Sancho, he's been playing in a different position in pre season. But when you're at the age, he'd have still been 18 at the time in the cup final, I think, and you're the only Man United player as Man City on the back foot in a season that they've won the treble, you've you've, you've got to be promoted a little bit more. And, you know, it's, the, the, it's not a case of the stars aligned, but it does benefit him that the striker that they've signed happens to be injured. So, you know, Rashford is being accommodated rather than Sancho, which you think, okay, fair enough. Rashford is more experienced playing there. I don't think he's necessarily particularly good there. And and Sancho has has looked okay there in pre-season. But it's interesting that a lot of fans are probably having that debate over Rashford and Sancho. But looking at Garnacho and saying, "Oh, but he absolutely has to start in that first game," and he has had a good preseason. Uh, he, he, obviously, preseason last year was non-existent for him. But the, the, the rise that he's enjoyed over the last eighteen months, from the, the, the start of the youth Cup run, it feels like, uh, is it, it's nothing short of extraordinary. And he is a player that. When he's playing, you you hear the seats clattering against uh, the the backs because he brings brings fans off them, and that's the true sign of of a Man United winger. We everyone knows about you know, wingers and Man United and how it's you know it's almost. That, that, I think that's what made Van Gaal's football su- such anathema to United supporters. It's because there was no wing play, there's no excitement, but Garnacho absolutely embodies that and. Under Ten Hag, he's got the right manager there as well. You don't look at him and think he might you know, go the way of Yannassai, who was, of course, really good in his first season, but then just just faded very, very quickly. Uh, he's there's just so much like about him and the ceiling is really really high so they've they've got to absolutely make the most of it before he uh, agitates to move to Real Madrid in four four years or so so yeah I've, that, that's the problem for United you can see that coming a mile off if he uh, continues on this trajectory but uh, look, if, if 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 they if, if he's anything like Ronaldo was in his first six year spell at United then they'll have done alright
0: yeah and Just lastly from the the Lawns game, uh, let's talk about Mason Mount, an underwhelming pre-season I guess it'd be fair to say, I mean it is only pre-season, I thought you summed it up quite well actually on on Saturday when you said he's he's probably a player who's better without the ball than he is with it Um, and you can tell that every manager he plays under seems to absolutely love him so he clearly brings something to the collective Mm. but it sometimes I guess can be hard to see for fans it can be hard to see for us we've got our heads buried in laptops yeah. sometimes yeah. but it's, he, he's not had a brilliant
1: pre-season has he yeah and it doesn't help when you miss a glaring chance like, like he did as well and I think he's quite sensitive to the backlash he gets off Chelsea supporters because he was seen as you know, one, I hate the phrase but one of their own and they had a banner of him because he came through the academy and won the Champions League but in the end he decided to, to join United from United's perspective as well, and, and also from from, from from journalistic perspective where we're analysing him, everyone knows that Ten Hag wanted Frankie de Jong last year. And we were very, very reliably informed as well that if he could sign, this was going back to the winter, that if, if he could sign anyone in the world, it would be Jude Bellingham. It was never attainable. It was a bit of a pipe dream. But anyway, Mount, I don't ever see getting... Anywhere near their level, which immediately some people might say, "Well, how, how's he? How's he going to succeed at United then?" If if they pursued this midfielder last year and this other midfielder who was really virtuoso in his half against United in, in Houston, um, they've they've both eluded them. Uh, so already Mount is up against the cosh and where is pre-season? As you say, it has been underwhelming. I mean, the the, the most. The most striking impact I, I recall him making so far in pre-season was probably when he led a uh, pressing against Leeds United yeah. in, in Oslo. And that was the first game and it's it's Leeds United and it's, it's it's a nothing game. So, you know, at least with friendlies, you can be a little bit dismissive of it and say, OK, you know, you, you're, getting, you're getting your um, game time up, but make sure that you perform when the competitive games start. But I think a lot of United fans might be on his case quite quickly um, because, as I said, it's so well documented that there were starrier names uh, that, that Ten Hag would have liked Diong in particular. Um, but also, it's just the fact that I, I look at Mount and I don't see him as. I mean, he's not a particularly similar player to Frankie Diong either. Diong is a dribbler when he was starting out in the Netherlands he was being playing at centre-back and dribbling out from centre-back he's um, he's a very different player and when I use that phrase about being better without the ball than with the ball the last player I think I meant I I used that phrase with was uh, and this does not bode well was Jesse Lingard (laughs) Um, occasionally he was very good with the ball in the you know he had that goal in the community shield when he went the dribble but and Watford was another one, but he he was very intuitive with his movement when he didn't have it, and if there was a chance there to hit it first time, he he was liable to score the spectacular, but if you gave him time, his limitations were quite obvious, and... um, I mean, you, the way United were working it, the, the way they were functioning the weekend was good. Without the ball, it looked like they were more of a 4-3-3 and they had Fernandes and Mount high up to maximise their pressing. And but they, they need to improve their pressing. They did last season, but there's still a hell of a lot more room for improvement. And Ten Hag, sorry, uh, Mount is a player who is completely ten, aligned with what Ten Hag wants from a, a younger, dynamic midfielder. But I do wonder whether he's going to be creative enough to really take them on to the next level and it is still early days and although it sounds like we're judging him we're not really because we've already you know added that caveat that it is pre-season and he will be judged when the, the competitive games start but he's not hit the ground running in pre-season, so he's he's got a second chance now to hit the ground running uh, against Wolves next week, and from then on, it would be fair to you know to to to, to judge him through through those uh, those competitive matches.
0: That's all for the first part of the Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back after the break to talk about Rasmus Hoyland. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. The lawns-friendly on Saturday kicked off at 12.45pm, but the real fun began at the unusual time of 12.37pm, which was the moment the uh, arrival of Rasmus Hoyland was was choreographed. United dropping the, the press release to us at, at 1237 and unveiling him on the pitch at exactly the same time, a military-like operation, um, a signing we all we all knew was coming, not done in time unfortunately for this weekend. But then we learned it, it doesn't matter anyway uh, because he's injured <laughs> and is out for a few weeks. We're told he's training, but he's short of match fitness and, and we'll we'll need a couple of weeks to to get up to speed. Um, first of all, the, the signing. I, I mean, I guess we all we all knew it was coming, didn't we? And unveiled on the pitch. That seems to be a thing. United have done a lot of recently. Varane against Leeds, uh, Casemiro against Liverpool. Now, Hoyland against Lons, Bow well for Leicester next season, I guess. Um, uh, I mean, it's, you know, he, he got a warm reception. He was clearly, he looked delighted to be there. He's made it a, a big thing of this being a, a boyhood United fan, hasn't
1: he? Yeah, he was it, was, it was unfortunate for him in a way that it was a friendly yeah. because the <clears throat> the applause was compared to Casimir and Varane, uh, their unveilings were prior to. Highly charged games. I mean, the Leeds game—it was the first game that Old Trafford was packed again uh, since the pandemic—and and the Liverpool one, Brentford had happened nine days earlier. There were protests going on outside, so it was an evening kickoff as well. You could really feel it in the air that night. Uh, to quote Phil Collins, I believe it was that—that <laughs> uh, that was unintended. That uh, so it was—it was a—it was, was polite applause for him, but uh, it, I suppose it was somewhat tempered. By United then informing us that he 's he 's not going to be available probably for the first two games you may be looking at Forest at home on the twenty sixth as a possible debut, and you 'd think maybe as maybe as a substitute so it 's not it 's not ideal when you 've just invested seventy two million pounds in a striker and T- Ten Hag apparently didn't want to talk him up, and then he told MUTV that he's he's the player, the the striker the players have been waiting for. Um, so if you're talking about hype, that that is one way of hyping him up. But I, th- I think United and, and Ten Hag are going to be preaching caution quite a lot, stressing that oh he is you know he is twenty, he's going to be he's he's going to require time. I think they said that again at the weekend. I think they're conscious that. They have spent a lot of money on on a striker who is is not a proven goalscorer, and I think that's what we said going into the transfer window. They needed to sign a dependable goalscorer, and you cannot factually say that they've got that in Hoyland. They might get it. He 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 may be uh, a superstar for them, and I think from what we gather from what Ten Hag has said about him. He's, he's completely convinced in him in terms of his personality, his physicality, his speed, the way he operates along the front line, uh, the, 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 the desire of him as well, the, the willingness. I mean, he is obviously playing for his boyhood club now as well, so that's going to be uh, an added motivation. It will be fascinating to see how he fares, but whether it's good enough for Man United this season is, is another thing altogether. I think we said in... In the states, that if he scored 15 Premier League goals this season, that would be really good going for someone who uh, got nine goals in those two Serie A games last season. But would it be good enough for, for United? I mean, United are not really. Ten Hag is being very cagey about what constitutes a good season for United. He's he's refusing to outright say that they should be going for the title. Um, I, I think that is possibly a stretch. But then you look at the other clubs and. Even City, they've you know they've they've got issues and the some some very good players have left, and there are still maybe some holes in the squad that need filling, and unser- there's uncertainty about other players. Liverpool lost a couple of players, uh, a couple of players have come in, but their squad is probably not in in the shape that ten that uh, that that Klopp would want it to be. Arsenal can they sustain their momentum? Newcastle have made one or two decent signings, but. Uh, already i don't i don't think people would be surprised if they faded out faded out of the top four picture there um, so m- maybe there's an opportunity there for united but we would certainly be a lot more bullish about those um, about that opportunity if they had someone like harry kane in instead and regardless of what happens with with kane whether he goes to bayern munich whether he stays at tottenham unfortunately Hoyland is going to be compared with his peers at the other big clubs and that is Erling Haaland, Harry Kane uh, OK at Liverpool, you know, there's not a standout striker anymore but you've still got, I mean Darwin Nunez, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a better season, Salah's still there, uh, Arsenal is a bit different where Gabriel Jesus has not been uh, as, as good a sign as I think as, as they might have hoped and he's injured as well but you just mentioned name, ha- names Haaland and Kane and already that, that is pressure. That has added pressure to the pressure of leading the line for Man United. And as, as, as I said, we, we've been told that Ten Hag is completely convinced in his ability to handle it. And I think he did say that as well privately, that, that um, Hoyland was able to cope with the stresses. He feels that that's not going to be a problem. But I still don't think that for any person, any player, whether it's a manager a player, or even a, you know, a kit man, or a, a tea lady, going to Manchester United, they it, they they almost almost all of them get a shock as to the size of it and the scrutiny and the crit- and, and the criticism when it does come. And there will be criticism of him at times. There's not been a player in in United's history who's had zero criticism. All the greats have had criticism at one point or another. So it'll be fascinating to see how it goes. But it it is. It is a genuine pity for United that um, that he's injured. It's not an ideal start.
0: Yeah, no, definitely not. Especially when your other striker is is also injured or not much fit, well, and yeah. unlikely to be much fit if he's never played oh, matches. Can't be sort
1: of, it Can't be
0: exactly. Right? Yeah, and you know, there's there's a huge fascination with with Hoyland. There was a lot of Danish press there at Old Trafford on Saturday. I did Danish TV before the match, and the one thing they kept ref- coming back to was pressure and this idea of pressure and. There is, as you have touched on there, a huge element of it here. This is a yeah. monstrous step up for a player, pretty inexperienced. He's played 87 professional games. He moved for 1.8 million euros, I think, 18 months ago from Copenhagen to Sturmgratz, 17 million euros last summer. Now 85 million. United you know, said, Euro.
1: "Oh, we've tracked him since Copenhagen <laughs> as well, Copenhagen. but we waited yeah. until he was worth yeah. about 90 million euros." Yeah, to
0: we've we've tracked him since he's got a hat trick for Denmark in March. Doesn't quite have the same the same ring to it. Um, you know, they they clearly needed a striker, but nine goals last season in in Serie A under the radar at Atalanta. I think there was even a feeling at Atalanta that. After that, that hat trick for Denmark, and I think he got two goals in his next cap in those March internationals, and that's when the noise about a summer move really accelerated. And he ended the season pretty poorly, I think, at, at Atalanta. The, the pressure element is also almost going to be the defining thing to his first season here. Isn't it the defining aspect you mentioned before? If he gets 15 goals, fantastic. But United probably need 25 goal a season striker, don't they? And he's he it is going to be. You know, how, how he copes with the demands off the pitch and the spotlight and the glare is going to be as big as his, his actual attributes. Because he does actually look well suited to the Premier League. But it's just for for a 20-year-old with sort of limited experience to come in and be, he won't wear the number nine, but essentially he's the Manchester United number nine. It's, it's a huge asset, That's, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: huge. that Berbatov was a club record striker signing in... What year was that? Two thousand eight, and his first season, he only got fourteen goals. That was that was a genuine disappointment. I mean, for someone who'd been playing for Tottenham, been very good for Tottenham the previous two years, he, he knew the Premier League, but it's it's that big step up. Whether you're a, quite a big club like Tottenham or a, a, um, Atalanta, not one of the big hitters in in Italy, it's fair to say. What, whatever the standing, it's going to be a huge step up to to United, and it's it's interesting that you know. Danish media are talking about that as well because sometimes with certain um, territories and the fan bases, they can just be one-eyed. It's like if, if a player from their uh, from their country or their territory goes to Manchester United, it's, oh, he's great, he's wonderful. I mean, um, I, an example of that would be how, how one-eyed some Norwegians are with, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who was... He overachieves the United manager, but the more you think about it, the more ridiculous it was that he was Manchester United manager. And with Hoyland, as I said, I think what, what gives me a bit of confidence for, that he will do well at United is what Ten Hag has been saying about him. And that does put a different slant on it. And sometimes, I mean, Ten Hagel was one of them as well. There were certainly reservations about United going for a manager from the Eredivisie, huge step up, dealing with egos, new to the Premier League. And you've got Pochettino there as well as a possibility. Is, is he really the right man? And he absolutely was the right man. And sometimes you just speak to someone about something like that. And it puts a different slant on it. I remember speaking to Ten Hag's friend about him, and he, he used the word discipline quite a lot. And I thought, well, I think they might be all right here if he if he can handle a dressing room, then fair enough. And of course, he, I mean, Ronaldo underestimated him and crossed him at his peril, and it, it cost him his his competitive club career really. So, Ten Hag has shown at Ajax and at United he can develop rough diamonds he can polish rough diamonds uh, into real jewels. De Jong is one uh, De Delit De was better at Ajax than he was for, Ju- for Juventus and-, and Bayern Munich as well he, he actually looks like a player who-, who misses Ten Hag De Jong less so and Garnaccio is another one so Ten Hag is building up this body of work with young players that suggests that United have, have got the right man to oversee uh, Hoyland's development and it's yeah, it's it's just a shame for all of us that he he can't play as as soon as possible because you want to. Uh, look, I ha- hold my hands up. I've I've never watched him. I've never watched a, an Atalanta game with Hoyland playing, and I certainly during an international break don't go looking for a Den, a Denmark game to watch either. Um, so you know, we're we're just going to be judging him through the prism of what he does for for Man United. What he did at Atalanta, Copenhagen, Sturm Graz is is completely moot. So. It's as I said, it's, it's it's going to be fascinating, but he's 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 going to need a lot of help along the way.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Ten Hag has, has earned the right and earned the trust to take a, a risk on these players, and I think this is probably the biggest transfer gamble so far. Um you know, it feels like you mentioned he's he's playing down title talk before. I think they have spent nearly four hundred million pound now across two summers. It feels like they should be pretty close for that to happen. It's. The two players, it, it maybe depends most on uh, the two biggest risks, perhaps Anthony and, and Rasmus Hoyland. It's
1: 185 million euros, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, two those young two.
0: forwards who, you know, Anthony needs to kick on from last season and Hoyland needs to hit the ground running. And in terms of, you know, we always knew a striker was the top priority this summer. It's coming at, at, at number three in terms of the, the process of signings. Um, you know, I guess the obvious question is, Hoyland the right man? We know, you know, we've said Ten Hag clearly wanted him, I think he probably wanted Harry Kane more. Um, he is like I say he is going to be judged on what happens with Kane Kane scored four goals for Tottenham in a friendly yesterday when at a time when he's desperate to leave the club he is just a, a, a ruthless reliable goal scorer I mean if he ends up going to Bayern for £85 million that's £13 million more than United are spending on Hoyland and as much as you know, United say there's, there was disadvantages with Kane yeah. presumably his his age in, in what is quite an it. Aging-ish squad, certainly the spine of it. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of 30, 31-year-olds there, but he, he's also, you know, you'd you'd bet your house on him outscoring Hoyland for the next two seasons, probably at least, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I I can see it from from both sides and the United look at Kane, they think, right, he's one of the best to get, but we have to deal with Daniel Levy. There's no way this deal is gonna get done early. Um he's he's 30. There's a lot of wear and tear there. Are we gonna? Is he going to be a long term striker? He's more likely to be a short term striker. His salary demands as well, um, have to be taken into account in in compliance with with FFP, etc. However, as you and and also, I suppose, if Bayern Munich do sign in for 85 million pounds, okay, but there's no way that Tottenham would let him go for that money to Man United, it would be minimum. Nine figures. You're talking hundred million pounds at the yeah. very least, and Levy would probably still then try and chance his arm and extract more from United. So, the hassle would have would have been there. What I think United um, are overlooking is that they're they're bracketing Kane. They're saying, "Oh, look, we've si- signed all these elderly strikers in in recent years, and look how it's gone with them." Kane has only just turned 30. It's, it's a bit like that David Brent um, ex- exchange with Tim in the office. Like, we're both, both in our 30s. And he's like, oh, I've, I've only just turned 30. You're what, 39? <laughs> and and to compare Kane at the, at, at the stage in his career to Cavani is... It, it does Kane a disservice. And Ronaldo was, what, 36 when he joined United? So that's like... That's more than half a decade's difference between um, the ages and when you go in there. Uh, Cavani obviously didn't work out, and it was also a a deadline day move. There was a lot, there was a big element of panic about it. But there was another third, I mean, Ibrahimovic was 34 when he joined United, and he was a success, certainly his first season. So you can say that, oh, we've signed all these elderly strikes, but Ronaldo was good in his first season. Cavani's first season actually ended really well as well. I think he got 17 goals in the end because of that purple patch he embarked on in in the last couple of months of it. And and Ibrahimovic was successful his first season. So however way you spin it, you can actually spin it as well. Look, the, there's evidence there that you've got you've you can get a tune out of thirty um, something strikers, and this guy's only just turned 30, and also he's been one. He's been a world class striker for seven or eight years, and. He's probably like if he stays in the Premier League, he's going to get the the, the goal scoring record as well. I all along, I I, I think if United, if if, if Osman was was doable, I'd have understood United going for Osman because he is spectacular, he is prolific, he has all the attributes, he is proven. But when you shift from and and Kane and Osman were like they were the top tier. Yeah. And then they went down a tier to Hoyland and uh, Randall Cola Moani as well. And of those two, Moani's got a better goal-scoring record. He's a France international. He was at the World Cup. Hoyland was not at the World Cup. I think he's four years older. Frankfurt wanted more. Um, I think they were talking about hundred million euros. But when you look at the difference in price overall, it's not it's not that big. And I know United people at United have talked about you have to be. You have to be conscious of actually paying another £10 million for a striker. But United had told us in America that they wouldn't, over, they wouldn't spend more than £60 million on Hoyland. And then they spent £64 million on him. So that's £4 million more than they said they were going to pay. And so it always comes... However way you look at it, you can, you can look at it in a negative way. You can, look, you can look at it in a positive way. But ultimately, I always thought going into the transfer window, they needed a proven goal scorer. And they were going to spend big on a striker, and they have done, but they've done it on a striker who is not a proven goalscorer. So the risk is, it's not up for debate. It is a fact that it is a risk. And as, as I said, Ten Hag is a, is a brilliant coach, and he's got a good track record with young players, and, and United banking on that, really. They're banking on Ten Hag's coaching, and they're banking on Hoyland having all the attributes and have that confidence that he will get there under Ten Hag and maybe maybe they see it as Hoyland hasn't had the absolute perfect coach to work under who can really properly tap into his potential maybe Ten Hag is that man and if it does happen then you have to doff your cap to them because he will be doing it at just about the, the toughest level possible at, at the most scrutinised football club in the world
0: yeah and, and if it does come off he is the perfect age to get years out of him yeah. and you know, I mentioned that sort of ageing spine there before. I mean, they've done a lot this year now to to refresh it. Obviously, Anana, twenty seven, I think, replacing De Gea. Mount, twenty four, replacing Ericsson, who's thirty one. Now you've got twenty year old strikers. So then, you know, the, the age of that squad has reduced significantly this summer. Um, that's all for part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back after the break to look ahead to the final weeks of the transfer window. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, Manchester United have the majority of their transfer business done. Three new players in, around £180 million spent. It is pretty much job done. Some United figures are trying to suggest it is job done and, and that will be the lot for the window. I think there's a, a possibility of that, but I think it's also probably too soon to to call. There's still, what, three three weeks or so of the window to go? Three
1: weeks Friday.
0: Three weeks Friday, I think. it. it, it I think we're probably at a point now, Samuel, where maybe incomings are now dependent on outgoings.
1: Yes, and the the reality is different from what gets written in certain countries, uh, mostly Italy, <laughs> uh, regarding one or two players. Uh, but it's, you know, things can change very, very quickly. Um, I think while we were in San Diego, the chance of Scott McTominay leaving started going up, and then. Kopi who gets injured and they start coming back down again. And, and McTominay is injured at the moment as well. So um, although I think it's the, the beginning of the end for him at United has started and, and it looked like the end was possibly going to come sooner rather than later, maybe it will be later after all. And that, that's just how how quickly things can can change with a player. And we've, we've seen already with, with Ahmad's injury, that's going to have a knock-on effect uh, with with probably Pallisterine, at the moment you'd think Pulisari won't go out on loan and it would be strange if he did um i mean i think the the, the line's gone live already this morning that van der beek united are in discussions to sell him to real sociedad they need to sell him he's he's not he's not good enough and he hasn't been good enough for united pretty much the whole time he's he's been there dean henderson is something that is still just bubbling away and ideally united would have got that done sooner rather than later they, are, they have been a bit more receptive to doing a loan with an obligation to buy, but they want that money guaranteed by January because the, the cost of um, net spend and in compliance with prof- the profitability and sustainability rules, that can be stre- spread across both windows. So although there was all this talk about United having a £120 million budget, that, the, the reality is that they, they were always able to spend more and the cost of that can be offset by sales this summer and in the winter so if they get the money for Henderson in January that's ideal Uh, but more ideal would be to get him sold now really Um, but the problem is he's come back from an injury and there's been I think from Forrest's, Forrest's perspective they've been a bit tentative about it but so far so good although he obviously hasn't played at all in uh, pre-season and and he never was going to for United as well he's I mean it's pretty pointless as well he's it's not so much he's not in the plans but he's not going to play for them because he's he's a sellable asset Uh, with Fred I think we were told that that's cooled that was the phrase wasn't it although Fulham are still in for him Galatasaray haven't got anywhere near United's asking price, Maguire, it's dependent on him. If it comes to it where he says, goes to Ten Hag says, look, I want to leave. And it sounds like he hasn't said that yet. But if he does say that, maybe that will escalate matters. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any others. I don't think don't think there's anyone else really, is there? I in guess terms the, of-
0: I mean, the only other one is someone they won't really care about, but the the ghost of center half's passed in. Eric Bailly, who's... Oh, yeah. (laughs) No one in the knows where he is. Um, Absolutely ruthless from Ten Haag, but he's he's still being paid by United at the moment. You
1: just knew when they had that arrangement with Marseille last season, the obligation to buy if Marseille qualify for the Champions League and Eric hits an appearance mark. You knew who who was not going to hold up their end of the bargain there. So, yeah, they are still saddled with Bailly. Uh, I mean, absolutely ridiculous contract he got. Two years ago, such a ridiculous contract. Even Solskjaer questioned, you know, openly questioned possibly the the merits of it um, on, on a Zoom call. Uh, I think it was. Is it at the moment? It's uh, clubs from Saudi Arabia or Turkey, like just whichever territory. Just just get 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 him uh, shipped off. uh, Put put him in, you know, box him up in a crate and go and take him to one of those places. Uh, It's it's a shame for him because he's you know he he was very good in his first season for United, but since then it's it's just been downhill and really silly injuries, some avoidable injuries as well. But I, I didn't realise that I think in the Rangnick Solskjaer season, I think he was pretty much fit for the entirety of it, but he just didn't play beyond December. Um, so it's, yeah, you know, it, it's, he's, he's been popular with supporters. And as I said, he had a really good first season, but really he should not have got a contract in april 2021 i think it was so uh, i'm sure he'll have um you know he, he, he you know the, the bosphorus is is lovely in, in in istanbul i'm sure and and you just see how uh i mean the, the supporters out there they they was it Deris for sale they mobbed at the airport that time all those years ago they they, they will mob any new uh, any income in there so uh Hopefully if him he can you know, get a move and and, and hopefully if United they, they get him off the books as well there's yeah. there's just no sense to to be keeping him to the point where you even wonder if they if he doesn't get a a move do they just pay up his contracts
0: yeah I mean incredible to think it was a card only twelve months ago I think when I suggested they might get twenty million yeah yeah that that's, was that uh, was, not, um, not my was it, that's why, yeah five <laughs> i am sat here and not in uh, in John Murter's office but you never know Al halal might come in and, and do the business for me yet um yeah, I guess there's sort of two two sets of, of outgoings, the ones we mentioned there, Henderson, Baye, Fred, Van Der Beek, I think we'd say they're all pretty much certain to to happen and, and to leave. Obviously the Fred one has gone cool, I think there's still an expectation he will go. The, the And then there's Maguire and McTominay where they're not being forced out the door, it's very much a case of see what offers come in and then replacements will be needed. Fred and van der Beek, whether they both go, whether Ten Hag says, I need another midfielder, especially with Kobe Mainu's injury. I think if Mainu was fit... There's
1: an argument for that now.
0: There is an it? argument that yeah. they might, he might say, we, we need another midfielder. And obviously there's the, the Amrabat stuff where they've got an interest, but as you mentioned, being hard-driven hard in, um, yeah. in, in Italy. And then the goalkeeper situation. You've done the, the story this morning, I think probably be live now about Tom Heaton staying. Yeah, he's staying, and, and it yes. looks like he's, he's probably going to be number two. Maybe that'll leave Mate Kovar as, as number three, although he didn't he didn't come on the US tour because he was expected to go on, on loan. Um,
1: yeah, they took Nathan Bishop, who was then, probably, then probably sold, sold to Sunderland. Sunderland.
0: the Goldman situation still seems a bit a bit of a strange one. I think you know, we've both been very impressed with Tom Eaton in pre season and yeah, yes. he's he's picked oh, well. up the the demands, you know, he he is he's a nana-esque in his positioning, yes. something uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not sure Sean Dyche ever knew he had that in his in his locker. <laughs> Um, but he has only played two and a half games in three years. I think it is three and a half years. It's an element of risk that he that he would be a number two as good as he's been. You, you do wonder if there's still maybe room there to, to sign another goalkeeper, and whether it, maybe it will be a Jack Botland-esque Martin Dubravka-esque. Late deal for for an experienced number three or something
1: like that. I'm sure if one of us just poured through all the Premier League and Championship clubs, you could settle on about a dozen names. You could say where you'd say, yeah, I could see him going to United on a deadline day move for for a loan a loan fee. Uh, I think Richard Jolly, our colleague at the Independent, said at the weekend about Alex McCarthy at Southampton, and immediately think, yeah, you could see him going to United and just being a third choice backup. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's keepers of that profile. I, I, I certainly think that Ten Hag will want another senior or, or more experienced goalkeeper. Kovar is is not a young goalie anymore. He's he's twenty three and he he played all of last season for for Sparta Prague. So I think the strange thing was that United you know, were talking about loaning him because I'd, I'd have thought given that he did he did well last season and and. Looking at how Ten Hag handles academy players, it's well if there's not a pathway for them there, what's the point of loaning them? Just sell them, get the money in, yeah. and you, you'd think they might be able to get a decent fee for him. Uh, there's, from what I was told, there's there's quite a lot of interest in in Kovar, but he's it's still that grey area where you, you he could stay, he could go, and I don't think it's so much indecision as it's it's what's going on with with the situation with other players and and henderson is is still one of them if, if henderson is somehow still marooned at united uh, when the transfer window closes then and and Kovar is as well that's i mean it's disastrous for both of them yeah. because they are two they're two goalkeepers who left on loan last season to go and play and it would be unfair on both of them as well but when push comes to shove clubs tend to you know Tend to blink eventually, and 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 there's always a greater chance. I think nearer the win, the the nearer the deadline, the chances of things getting done increase. I mean, there was talk with McTomney that he would actually look at his, he would assess his situation more closely to deadline, which seems a bit risky, but there's probably logic in it as well because you're likely to trigger a, a spontaneous bid closer to deadline rather than something that's more long-winded and West Ham like the look of McTominay which I think we both thought was inevitable given that he's Scottish David Moyes is Scottish Moyes wants British players he likes hard-working players McTominay's agent Colin Murdoch played under Moyes at Preston North End 20 odd years ago so there's a relationship there Um, but the problem is West Ham at the moment is a tough sell and West Ham are a club that, like a couple of United players, McTominay one and Maguire the other. But if you're Harry Maguire, do you really want to be going to a club who haven't signed a player yet this summer, sold their best player, got tonked at the weekend? There's internal conflict there between the manager and the new head of recruitment who is seemingly recommending players on the continent and the manager wants British players. Already look at that and you think maybe Moyes should have just gone out on high when they won the Conference League in June. Because already he's he's got to be one of the favourites for for the, for the chop early in the season. You, you're looking at him. You're looking at Lopetegui at Wolves as well. Because again, there's it's not all um, it's it's not panning out as he he expected there. So for, from a player's perspective, why would you be inclined to to leave that? And and Maguire may you know he's he's probably got to have a at times a glass half full outlook and look at it and think well. Varan is not a durable defender. Um, Lindelof, if he has a bad game, then I come in. Maybe I can go on a good run. That's that's the you know the, the, the optimist outlook on it. I somehow expect it won't end out that way for for Maguire, and and still it's in his best interest to leave. But that's why it can be. It's not so much indecision. It's just when you're weighing up these options, it is. One morning you might wake up and think, "Yeah, definitely want to leave." Another morning they must think, "No, why would I want to leave this? I'm happy here." You know, you, there's going to be a lot of internal conflict for for players in in Maguire's position. But ultimately, United have not had a, an acceptable offer for him or, or for McTominay, and that's when it does come push come where push does come to shove. Because if a club accept the fee for you you know there and then they don't want you, they want rid of you.
0: I guess maybe the interesting one to watch with McTominay will be what we mentioned there, Fred Fred der underbeat go and Ten Hag wants a new midfielder and ends up with someone like Amrabat as a holding yes. midfielder, it almost makes McTominay third choice. Redundant, it? So,
1: yeah. Well, I, I mean, think. Kobe Maynard was pretty much headed well, yeah, on tour. yeah, maybe fourth
0: choice, yeah. So that, that could change things later in the window. So, yeah, I think... There's a few more twists and turns to, to come in this window yet, so uh, so don't log off just yet. Do stay tuned until September the 1st or, or whenever the window does close. Uh, that is all for now from today's episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you for your time, Samuel. Thank you. Thank you for coming to the office straight from, uh, straight from the the Ryanair red eye from, yes. from Dublin yes <laughs> yeah T3 is
1: uh, yeah if you've not experienced T3 at Manchester airport you don't want to experience T3 <laughs> at Man- <laughs> Manchester airport
0: that, that's all for now as I say uh, do keep an eye on our social media channels on YouTube we'll have plenty more video content for you during the week um, there'll be another midweek podcast and then Samuel will be back on Friday with someone Rich or Stephen I would think I'll be on a beach in Portugal so I'll, uh, I'll try and listen but no guarantees and um, But I'm sure it will be an excellent podcast anyway. But that is all for now. Thank you for listening and joining us.